Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Let me tell you a little bit about Keith while we're waiting on him, just so I don't have to go through this when he is here. Uh, Keith got his undergrad at Notre Dame. He actually, he played basketball at Notre Dame, got a scholarship there. Uh, then he I'm went here. to Indiana Bryce, University to get his it's master's under High Point in Church, but I'm all set and ready to go. Family counseling. That makes him a Irish and a Hoosier. Just want you to know how that is a miracle all in itself. If he'd have become, if he'd have went to Purdue and became a boilermaker, we couldn't have been able to handle it. Oh, there he is. Ah. Can you hear him? Can you hear me, Keith? I can hear you great, my friend. Can you hear me? Okay, good. I'm just bragging on you right now. Awesome. The and he did. I got this echo up here. Uh, whenever he went pro, he played in the NBA for many seasons. And was it Shaq? Was that your you practiced against Shaq at Orlando? If I remember correctly, I had to guard him every day in practice every day. for two years. The greatest thing about Keith, though, and I say this, and I, I say this a lot about guys, but only if it's true. He's a great husband. He's got two girls that he dearly loves, and they are first in his life, period. Uh, he is a senior pastor at High Point Church in Orlando. Uh, and he's just a really good friend, and I really appreciate and love him. So, Keith, I'm going to let you go on that, and uh, welcome to Bethel Midweek Service. Fantastic. And thank you, Pastor JT. Pastor JT. I really uh, appreciate uh, the, the invitation from you and Pastor James. And, man, it's always an honor. It's always an honor. It's always an honor. I'm getting some feedback. Is that happening for you all, too? Indeed it is. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. I'm just kidding. Sorry. I think that's going to be something on your end. This was working before. All right. I'm going to just kind of kick going. And if I hear feedback, I'll maybe stop before I drive people insane. Um, anyway, it's great to be with you, Bethel. One thing I've always appreciated about your church is that um, you're a church that's been at the forefront of applying the gospel to whatever uh, is the pressing issue of our time. And uh, you are once again here with your help series, um, helping us uh, handle um, stress and anxiety and depression and everything that goes into uh, mental health and emotional health. So I so appreciate you, Bethel Church, and consider it a privilege to be a, a small part of uh, what God's going to do through this in, incredible series. Um, and uh, Pastor Bryson, I loved worship, and thank you so much for for helping me uh, get connected here and all this good stuff. And I want to commend you, uh, Bethel Church, for taking time to invest in your, both yourself and your mental and emotional health, as well as what I'm hoping we'll pick up tonight through our Q&A next week, um, maybe a little bit of equipping that'll help you uh, better help others around you. Now, whenever you're the guest during a, a mental health series, people come in with a lot of expectations. So I want to kind of moderate what it is that we're going to do because it's a wide-ranging topic and there's really no way we can cover the entire spectrum of mental health and emotional health in just one session tonight. 
And I like to use the framework that was developed by Johns Hopkins. They've got a continuum of care that they've sort of developed this, this model around. And it's three stages. We have resistance, resilience, and recovery. Resistance, resilience, and recovery. And when you conceptualize how one is helped, it's along this range of resistance, resilience, and recovery. Resistance would be um, where it's the, the, the coping skills that we all learn somewhere along the way. And if we adequately apply those to most of our life, we, we can just kind of journey through life and we do okay. It's sort of the, the things we pre-learn before we hit the difficulties of life. If you were to take a natural example, it's kind of like learning to walk, right? So there, there are some things. We all now naturally walk, assuming we're, we're capable of walking and you don't think about it, but there was a, a process of learning. There's balance, there's right leg, left leg, right hand, left hand. There's, there's being aware of obstacles. There's stepping up, stepping down. There's a, a lot of steps that go into it and you learn those. And that allows you to, generally speaking from a natural sense, journey through life. We can take a walk. So resistance from an emotional perspective would be like the skill set of learning to walk. Resilience would be no matter how good the skills you've developed of walking are, sometimes you fall down. Sometimes something happens in the environment and you maybe you didn't see something. Sometimes through our negligence, sometimes through uh, uh, negligence or malintent of somebody else, sometimes life just hits us and we get knocked down. And that's now the phase of resilience. Resilience is when life has hit me and it hits all of us, but when life has hit me, do I now have the skills or the knowledge or the insight or the fortitude to be able to get back up and begin to reapply what I know from the resistance phase? So can I get myself back up to doing what I was doing when I was walking well? And resistance is where most of us find ourselves with life's bumps. You know, we, you, you might have a skinned knee, you might be bleeding and the ability to sort of self-diagnose and go, okay, my leg is bleeding, but it's still attached. That's a good thing. Do I, if I stand back up, how bad does it hurt? And can I now reapply the skills I learned during resistance and continue on my walk or my journey through life? Recovery is something that happens when I'm doing resistance, I fall, and some falls are more traumatic than others. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to skin your knee. It's another thing to have your leg fall off, right? There's, there's I can self-diagnose and say, oh, I've got a little blood, but I can get back up and reapply the resistance and start walking. And then there's other times where I go, this is gonna require more than what I have. I need to put myself in an expert's care. I, I need surgery, right? And, and I need somebody else to intervene and repair the damage that happened during the stage of when I fell. And now I can go back and sort of relearn resistance now that I've been healed up. From an emotional perspective, the recovery place, that's, that's the, the role of professional counseling. That's the role of psychiatry. That's the role of medication. Sometimes life just hits us hard. Not everything is a trauma. One of the challenges of the day that we live in is we've lost a lot of language right? So we're either doing amazing or devastating, and we've lost everything in between. And when we don't have language to describe what's happened between perfect and devastating, if something is not perfect, we label it devastating, and then we go right to the surgeon's table. And we say, help me 
fix me. And what ends up happening, while there are certainly traumatic events which require surgery, so to speak, most of the times when we fall, what we want to do is to learn the skills of resilience, which I think is one of the highest forms of dignity to know that, that you and what God has put inside of you is enough to get back up and start reapplying what you learned in the resistance phase and be able to, to journey. There is absolutely a role for recovery and it's super important. But most of the things that we refer to as mental and emotional health would fall somewhere in that place of needing resilience and the skills to get back up and start to journey. For the sake of our conversation tonight, we'll be talking mostly about resistance. What are some of the coping skills we can have? And resilience. What do I do when those coping skills, for whatever reason, sometimes self-inflicted, sometimes other-inflicted, for whatever reason, those coping skills have gotten overwhelmed and I've, and I've fallen? How do I sort of self-diagnose, get back up, uh, and start moving? For sake of clarity, um, I want to just kind of give a couple quick terms. Oftentimes, we refer to mental health and emotional health. To me, I've been practicing in private practice now. I've got a master's degree in mental health counseling. I've been in private practice for 20 years. Uh, when I think, when I conceptualize mental health, I tend to conceptualize that as brain health, the, the biochemistry, the physiological makeup of my brain. Uh, that is going to be beyond the scope. If, if we're having physiological issues with our brain that are causing health issues in the way that we think and the way that we relate, that would be something we would uh, send out to we would uh, send out to somebody in a professional. That's kind of the recovery stage. It would require more intervention. What I want to talk about is, is emotional health. Um, and emotional health is really when the, the life coping skills that we've developed, our coping systems, for whatever reason, get overwhelmed. And it starts to impact the health of our emotions. Shows most frequently in, our, in what we would consider mood disorders, high levels of anxiety, low levels of depression, right? And we, we, we recognize it because I just don't feel right. You know, I've fallen. I'm having difficulty getting back up. My emotional knee is skinned, you know, metaphorically speaking. And it's like, gosh, what part of this needs, needs additional help? And what part do I just sort of need some rub some dirt on and, and, and get moving? When we think of emotional health, there's really two facets of it. We're going to focus on one primarily tonight, two facets of emotional health. The first one is this, emotional health or challenges of emotional health are when I've had have an abnormal response to a normal life event that overwhelms my coping strategies. I'll say that again. I personally have an abnormal response to an everyday normal life event and my abnormal response to this normal life event overwhelms my coping strategies. This would be the student that has a test. Well, that's what students do. They have exams, but for whatever reason, this exam is causing me a panic attack, right? This would be, you know, gosh, my, my dog dies. And sad as that is, it is a life event, but it sends me maybe into a, a deeper depression where I, I'm having difficulty kind of getting back up and applying my coping skills, right? While exams happen and they can be stressful. And while our dog dying is sad and difficult, those aren't, they're, they're within the realm of normal life events. And if my response to them would be considered abnormal to the point where it overwhelms my 
coping strategies. It would be a, an issue of, uh, of emotional health. What we're finding right now, though, if you're reading the, the news or anything like that, is we keep hearing about the, the skyrocketing mental health issue, particularly coming you know, out of, hopefully, by the grace of God, the COVID pandemic and all the mental health issues that it's caused. Here's the difference. There is an abnormal response to a normal life event that overwhelms my coping strategies. What we're finding now is a normal response to an extremely abnormal life situation that's now overwhelming my coping strategies. So it's not that I'm reacting poorly, it's that the situation is so outside of the norm, it's an abnormal life situation that my normal response to something that is very abnormal is now overwhelming my coping strategies. And that, that's really where we're, we're finding ourselves right now. So if you're struggling at the moment, if you or somebody close to you is, feels like they're struggling with their mental health or their, their emotional game just doesn't seem right, let me encourage you, chances are it's because you're normal. These are extraordinary times that we're in. And we're not created to, like our, our normal, healthy function and response to the current life situation is such that it overwhelms our coping mechanisms. And here's, here's three ways. Here's the problem. And you should be able to see some notes on, the, on the, the screens on the side. Here's the first problem. The abnormal situation that we're finding ourselves in right now is isolation. For this past year, isolation is one of the major problems that we're having. And look at what Genesis uh, 2 verse 18 said. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. Now, you're in an amazing church like Bethel, so you understand probably what's happening here in the context, but let me set it. This is the second book of the Bible, second, first book of the Bible, second chapter of the Bible. God has just gone about creating, and eight different times in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, God creates something, he looks at it, and he said it was good, right? He created the sky and goes, oh, those stars are amazing, examined it, said it was good. Created the beach, examined it, said it was good. Created a chicken and said, man, wait till they get some, some of that Nashville hot sauce on it, right? This is awesome, right? So he's, he's creating, he's examining, he says it's good. The first time he changes his language from good is when he creates man. And he actually uses a different word. It could literally be translated awesome, right? So everything's good. The beach is awesome. The mountains are awesome. Nashville hot chicken is awesome or is good. It's good. It's good. Here's the height of my creation. Oh. And they're awesome. Now, Adam, at that point, is just man. He has unfettered access to God. He walks with him in the cool of day in a garden. There is no sin separating them. There's nothing between them. Adam has God all to himself, yet God looks, and right here in Genesis 2.18 says, huh, you know what? Everything I've made is good, but this situation is not good. It's not good for the man to be alone which means that the normal, healthy, appropriate response to isolation is to not be good. If lockdown has been tough, and you know, initially when it happened, all my introverted friends are like, oh man, this is the greatest thing ever. I can just shut my door and lock it. And, and it's like, you know, 
socially appropriate now and they were loving being able to disengage. But even the most introverted among us have found that it's not good to be isolated. You and I were created in the image of God. We're, we're made for relationship. We're made for connectivity. And, 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 and God, just us and God is not enough. The normal, healthy, appropriate response to isolation is to not be good. And what we're finding is that our normal response to the abnormal life event of isolation that this pandemic has caused is it overwhelms our coping strategies. It's We're not good. Now, that would be, if that was the only thing happening, that'd be difficult. But here's additionally the problem. It's not just isolation. We have disappointment. Proverbs 13, 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred, something that I'm looking forward to, not coming to pass over and over and over and repeatedly, something that I was anticipating, constantly getting dashed, eventually that produces a sick heart. The, the normal, healthy, appropriate response to, to deferred hope, to continuous disappointment is a sick heart. Now, goodness, if anything has marked this past year, it's been a large and small repeated series of disappointments. Some of your children were looking forward to, to baseball season. Maybe it was their senior year. Maybe they had been working on their curveball all off season. And just like that, through no fault of their own and no ability to control whether or not they could participate, it's gone. Some of you had children that their graduation was canceled. Some of you were looking forward to taking pictures of their first day of first grade and it never came to pass. Some of you had larger life events, right? Weddings that had to get canceled. Some of us have had the, the, the horrible situation of lo losing a loved one and not even being able to have a, an appropriate celebration of their life with other people. Some of you were looking forward to vacations. You had been saving for them, or it was a, a bucket list trip, or gosh, you just so many milestones and so many different things. Some of them were large, heavy disappointments. And, but let's be honest, even if they weren't large and heavy, so many of us really suffered what felt like a death by a thousand paper cuts, right? Just sorry, canceled. Sorry, canceled. Sorry, postponed. Sorry, not now. Sorry, maybe later. And then the challenging one that says, not now, we're going to postpone it. And then it's postponed again. And then it's postponed again. And then it's postponed again. And by the time we come to go to grips with the fact that it's not going to happen, we just have disappointment that's stacked up. Now think about this. A godly, faith-filled, normal human response to repeated disappointment, at least according to the Bible, is that you would have a sick heart. So isolation produces, man, this is not good. Disappointment stacks on top of not doing good, my heart getting sick. But wait, there's more, right? <laughs> Hang in there. Here's the other problem that we have is uncertainty that we've been experiencing through this pandemic. Uncertainty. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble, trouble of its own. 
this pandemic and, and everything that's been happening has created a, a, a really difficult series of what ifs, right? When the world first started, started shutting down, we were having, what if I get sick? What if someone close to me dies? And then when it, it started to change a little bit from that, but then we started to look at the economy and a, a series of what ifs. And it's amazing how when we start projecting out what ifs in difficult situations, how they, they're never rosy pictures. You know what I mean? We, we, human nature tends to run. I think it's part of our fallen nature. We tend to run to worst case scenario. It's like, oh my goodness, my business is shut down. I don't have a, a job. What if I stay unemployed? What if my business doesn't survive this? How am I going to survive living under the bridge? Will my kids ever eat again? And we, we run to all these places that usually don't end up ever happening. About 90% of the what ifs never materialize. But it's human nature we're seeing here when, when I'm in a place of anxiety, in a place of worry, I start to take the possible issues of tomorrow, the possible threats of tomorrow, the possible things that could go wrong tomorrow, and I pull them back into today and I feel them with the absolute certainty as if they're currently happening to me, even though chances are they're never even going to materialize. But when he's talking about worry, it's this idea of taking the issues and potential challenges of tomorrow, experiencing them today, along with today's issues, which means it, it becomes pretty much overwhelming. And what has happened with the pandemic is the illusion that we knew kind of what to expect tomorrow. We knew sort of, you know, our career trajectory and what it was going to look like in a year. We knew sort of like what our 401k and our saving or what you know, our kids' education, we, we sort of knew the up and to the right, and we trusted in a measure of certainty. And all of a sudden, the future became like, you know, like driving through a thick fog. And we couldn't see what we thought we could see before. And it creates uncertainty. And look what Jesus says. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. In other words, don't pull the possibility of what could go wrong tomorrow in and experience it today because each day has enough trouble of its own. Which means when I'm living in a place of continued uncertainty, it's troubling. It's troubling to my heart. It's troubling to my mind. It becomes troubling to my relationships. It's troubling to my sleep. It's troubling to my eating patterns. Continued worry, which turns into is based on continued uncertainty, things that are beyond my ability to control, that eventually brings trouble, which means the normal, healthy, appropriate response to continued uncertainty is to be troubled. So emotional health can be where I'm having an abnormal response to a normal thing that's happening in life and it overwhelms my coping strategies. What all of us are seeing right now at some level is I'm actually having a normal, godly human response to an extraordinary series of abnormal life events. And now that is starting to overwhelm my coping strategies. If you're not doing well, if you find yourself troubled, find yourself, man, with your heart feeling sick at times, if you find yourself, gosh, I'm just not good today, my friends, you're normal. You're having a normal response to abnormal life situations. Well, yay, okay, right? But what are we going to do about it? 
what are we going to do about it? Because this is happening. So what I want to now you understand the, 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 the nature of the trip and fall, right? So resilience is going to be what are the skills to get back up out of not good up out of, uh, 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 you know, each of the things that I talked about with disappointment, right? The sick heart, uh, the uncertainty and the trouble. How do I get up out of that? What are the skills of resilience? So then I can start my coping skills that got overwhelmed. How do I now start reapplying those and get about moving in my life? So what can we do? Here's the first thing just generally to keep in mind as I start to talk about some of the strategies that we'll apply. And it's this, our feelings, our emotions are a response to our thoughts and to our actions, to our mind and to our behaviors. My emotions, my feelings, feelings of anxiety, feelings of stress, they move and are moved in response to both how I think and how I behave. You don't have a gauge. There is no internal sort of thermostat called emotion where I can just go be happy, whoop, slide it up to happy. I don't just go be sad today. You know this if you've had a conversation with somebody who's struggling with any measure of depression. You're like, well, gosh, just don't feel that way as if somebody would choose that, right? I don't have a meter to just slide. In fact, let's do a quick thought experiment. Ready? Wherever you are at home, I want you to just close your eyes for a quick second. I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, I want you to be happy. I want you to experience the feeling and emotion of happiness. When I count to three, ready? Start getting ready to be happy. On your mark, get set. One, two. Okay, stop. Oh, open your eyes. You know what you were doing to start feeling happy? You were thinking certain things. You were thinking happy thoughts. You were thinking of your last birthday. You were thinking of your wedding day. You were thinking of uh, the great meal you're going to have after service. You were thinking of how awesome your pastor is. You, you, you were forcing thoughts, which you have the ability to control how you think. Scripture tells us that's why we're commanded to dwell on certain things. You're never commanded anywhere in Scripture explicitly to feel certain things. And if you ever are told to feel certain things, it's in relation to what you should do or what you should think. Because our emotions are moved by our thoughts and our emotions are moved in response to our actions. So when we think of the skill set of resilience or the coping skills and resistance, what we need to develop and what we need to apply during this time and what God will absolutely give you the grace to do, we need to think of it in terms of not how do I change how I feel, but how can I think and what are actions I can take and my emotions will move in response. So here's, here's your strategies, ready? Here's your first one. With regards to isolation, here's the strategy. Reduce the social distance. Now, that's not a violate your governor's orders or whatever. I'm not sure how, how Tennessee is. I, I live in the deep, 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 deep south of Florida where, man, you wouldn't even know there's a pandemic. We're just going for it. Uh, but depending on where you are, I'm not saying violate somebody's personal space. But what I mean by social distance is this. Social distancing has led to emotional distancing. Social distancing has led to emotional distancing. It, we're, we're isolated. We're, we're, we're missing normal things that have, have been essential in, in human contact and human, human interaction. They've been, they've been removed due to all kinds of you know, the circumstances. So isolation has 
you know, God says the normal thing when we're isolated, it's not good. So what I've got to do is, is change that. I can't let social distancing lead me to a place of emotional distancing. I've got to start to turn that around. One of the big challenges is, you know, even like the, 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 the rules that are implemented and please hear me saying, obey the rules. We're Christians. We should do what we're supposed to do. But one of the challenges of even something like mask wearing is that much of non-verbal communication is hidden. 80% of communication, 80% plus of communication is non-verbal. And of that 80%, 80% of that falls within the space that's covered by a mask, which means you and I are having, it's, it's, it's difficult to have appropriate communication that feeds the human soul. So even though I could be in someone's presence, and even though I could be having a conversation, so much is missed that my, my, my brain and my heart are coding isolation, isolation, isolation. I'm missing saying something and seeing a smile light up. I'm missing the, the, the joy that imprints on my heart when, when I can tell that you're happy to see me because most of the nonverbals that would tell me that are gone or can't be used. And we're isolated. So what we need to do, first and foremost, our strategy is to reduce the social distancing. I want to encourage you in the safe way, in the appropriate way, have some face-to-face -face conversations with people that you love. If you need to sit six feet apart, part, 10 feet apart. But get in enough physical live proximity. Zoom, praise God. God for technology. I wouldn't be able to be with you right now if we didn't have this amazing technology, but it's not a substitute. In fact, studies have been coming out that tell us that it's, it's actually twice as exhausting to interact with somebody in Zoom than it is live, twice. And you know why? Be real honest. You end up looking at yourself more than them. I'm staring at me right now. <laughs> I wish I was seeing you and I wish I wasn't seeing me, but there's something <laughs> about constantly looking at myself. Man, this will preach, Pastor James, right? There's something about keeping your eyes on yourself that's exhausting. And when you have all these little boxes, trust me, you look at yours more than other people. And, and there's a, a self-consciousness, a self-awareness that's it's not good for us. Sit face-to-face -face where you see another person and not you. And sit in a way that you can have reaction and, and the nonverbals are able to be expressed. We need to, at some level, don't break the rules, but reduce this thing of social distance. Um, here's your second strategy. And this one is specific with regards to dealing with disappointment and the repeated disappointment and how it makes our heart sick. Your second strategy is to stretch your thinking. Stretch your thinking. Here's what I mean by that. In the pain of disappointment, pain has a way of shrinking, right? When I've, uh, disappointment that's been repeated starts to lead to a sick heart, starts to lead to heartache, starts to lead to pain, and acute pain, pain, pain in the moment just reduces life. And man, it feels like it'll never end. When something hurts, it feels like that pain is not going to go away. When life is disappointing, it's very difficult to see how it's ever gonna improve. And pain has a way of just, it, it, it's like a black hole that ooh, sucks everything in and it becomes, pain becomes 
the focus of all our attention and all our thought. And the disappointment and the heartache that's been caused from just loss and loss and loss and postponement and postponement, and postponement is really shrinking our worlds. So what I wanna encourage you to do is to, to stretch your thinking. Think specifically, just, just in your mind's eye, go out five years, right? From where we sit, it's impossible to see this situation really ending, right? From our seat, we go, gosh, when is this gonna, I don't know. There's a lot that's beyond our control. Go out five years and envision life out there. Go out beyond when it's, when it's, when it's here. Go stretch out beyond. Because if we know anything from human history, and if we know anything from the Bible, this too shall pass. Every pandemic, every plague, every horrible thing that's ever afflicted uh, humanity has passed. That's how you're able to be here. Every difficult global situation at some level has passed, and this one will too. Just kind of kind of drop yourself out there beyond it when it's done. And what you'll see is this too shall pass. I can't see it now through the pain, but if I can just kind of set myself out there and re-envision it, what it'll start to do is back here in today, it'll give me a little bit of hope. And hope now is not deferred, not because of the disappointment happening, but someday I'll get there. And the best way through uh, difficult stuff is to move to a preferred future, not away or through pain. Trying to move away from pain, it might get you somewhere, but it doesn't get you where you wanna end up. The best way is to be drawn by vision to a preferred future. I got a lot more to say. I'll probably add something next week on that, but I just, for time's sake, I wanna make sure I keep moving. Um, here's your third strategy. Second one was to stretch your thinking. Third one is to shrink your thinking, shrink it. So how do I deal with the uncertainty, right? How do I deal with this idea of worry? I wanna shrink my thinking. If my issue is pain and depression, I wanna stretch my thinking out to a day when it's not currently happening. If my issue is I'm overwhelmed with anxiety and there's, gosh, there's so many difficulties, I wanna shrink my thinking down to the most immediate issue in front of me. Just one, pick, pick the, 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 the closest deadline, pick the largest stone, just reduce your thinking down to one. Because what happens when I get stressed is, you know, stress, honestly, getting stressed out gets a bad rap. Stress is not all bad. There's three kinds of stress. And one of them is pretty darn good. There's you stress, EU stress, you stress. And that's a, a motivating stress. You stress is the kind of stress where, uh, you know, gosh, I got an impending deadline, right? So I better, you know, I, authors talk about this, preachers, right? It, Sunday's coming and it's like, I can't, I don't know what I want to do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Hey, by Friday, listen, there's something about an approaching deadline that actually motivates and stress is good. Athletes see this all the time. On game day, they have this incredible ability to block out every other thing happening in their life and focus on the moment. You stress is good. So pick one. And actually, if you can just, just I'm going to just shrink my thinking down to the most immediate, it'll actually improve your performance and you won't be overwhelmed with all the things you have to do, right? Students that are coming up on a test, it's like, oh my gosh, it's finals week. How am I going to handle all of this? Don't, don't handle all of this. Handle the first one, right? So focus on the first one. You stress. Distress is what happens when I have 
excessive stress. So use stress is good, distress is not good. That's when I have all of the problems of today, plus the problems of tomorrow, plus the problems that are gonna happen when I lose my job and have to live under a bridge and I'm just gonna be cold. And what am I gonna do next time it rains in Nashville and I'm living under a bridge? Too, too much, way too much and way overwhelming. So if I can focus on one, I have use stress, motivating stress. If I focus on too many, it's distress. It starts to become excessive stress. And then the third type is dysfunction, which is an impairment due to stress. Because of the amount of things in front of me, I, I'm impaired even to function. I, I can't even start any of them because it's, it's too much. Now, uh, a thing to just kind of keep in mind is I, I mentioned there's a, there are abnormal responses to normal life events that overwhelm my coping. There are normal responses, which is what we're talking about today, to abnormal events that overwhelm. One of the challenges in determining between the two, and we're losing a little bit of this in our culture, is um, life, life is hard. There are things that are difficult, but that doesn't make them extraordinary, right? They're, they're, they don't move into abnormal. Um, and there's a, there's a principle, there's a, there's a book, it's not by a Christian guy, but there, it's, a, it's a really interesting principle that exists in the created order, and you can see it all throughout scripture, called anti-fragile. And anti-fragile simply, simply means this. If you think of something fragile, a, 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 a crystal glass, right? Super fragile. If you put pressure on this valuable thing, pressure, right? It, it, it shatters and it, and it breaks. It's fragile. What we often think of the opposite of fragile is resilient. So if I have a fragile crystal glass and pressure shatters it, the, the resilient would be like a child's sippy cup. <laughs> I literally ran one over in a car, backed out, backed out of my driveway and ran over my daughter's sippy cup when she was young. And that thing, man, I backed over and it just flattened. And as soon as the car was gone, bloop, just went right back to shape, right? You can press it, you can squish it, you can abuse it. And when it's done, boop, it goes right back to where, where it was. Neither of those are how God has created us to function. He's created us with something called to be what I would refer to as anti-fragile, which means that challenge and difficulty doesn't break us. Challenge and difficulty doesn't smush us and then we go back to where we were. Challenge and difficulty actually elevates us. It actually makes us better. Think about it from a natural sense, right? When you're lifting weights, you put on something to where you, you kind of stress yourself and you know rip something down and the end result of that being under stress is that more muscle would develop. The end result of running five miles is not just that you're exhausted, but your, your health actually improves. We know this when we put our mind under, you know, uh, when, we, when we study and we stretch ourselves, it, it's all throughout the created order. You and I are designed and created to be anti-fragile. We get better when things are difficult. So we shouldn't be going and avoiding stress at all costs. We should look and go, hey, life happens. Life can be challenging. Awesome. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to grow through this. And the way I'm going to grow is I'm going to shrink my thinking down to the most immediate issue in front of me. And I'm going to conquer that thing. And once I conquer that, well, there's a whole host of other ones. And I'll start to address them one at a time by the most immediate. That'll help with this idea of, of all the uncertainties and the idea of worry coming. 
here's our last thought and then I'll bring this to a close. I'm, I feel like I'm getting a little bit long-winded. I apologize. Is activity. Um, activity is really good. Um, you wanna have three types of activity. If you find yourself, your normal response to an abnormal life situation is overwhelming or coping. You wanna have three types of activity, physical, purposeful, and biblical. Physical, purposeful, and biblical. It should be appearing on the side screens. Here's what we mean by physical. What happened during the pandemic is all of the gyms were closed, all of the playgrounds were closed, all of the athletic leagues were, were closed. We were stuck inside for a period of time. We sat and, and our activity level went down. Now, tons, tons, I mean, gosh, we could cite studies forever that, that point to uh, the correlation between physical activity and mental and emotional health. You know, you talk to somebody who's a, a runner, right? And they describe this thing called a runner's high. I have no idea what that is because I despise running. I hate it. I ran professionally 94 feet up and down for seven years. And the day I retired from professional basketball, I vowed I would never, never sweat again. I mean, if I eat buffalo wings that are too hot and I get a little bead up here of sweat, man, I consider that a workout. Like I'm done. I do not run. But those that do run will tell you they run because among the physical benefits, it also clears their head. Endorphins are released. It elevates our mood. It, it's just tied together. I can change my mood by increasing physical activity. If you're able, and we're not all in that great position to go run marathons, but if you're able, increase your physical activity when you find your mood starting to get sluggish. Your mood will eventually respond. You want physical activity. Second type of activity would be would be purposeful. One of the great challenges of the pandemic was when everything shut down, right? One of, you and I are made in the image of God. And when you look at where God is first introduced into creation, Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it speaks of the spirit of God hovering over the chaos. The word there is, is, uh, uh, Tohu vavohu. It's a. It, it means chaos and just chaotic and swirly and formless and void and just sort of a blob, right? And into this blob, God started to bring order. He spoke and he brought light into darkness, right? He started to form things and and part of God, the image of God in us, is that we are order bringers to chaos. One of the most divine things you do is your work. Whether you're an organizer or a maintainer or a builder or a server, you help organize and bring order to things that would otherwise be chaotic. It's one of the most glorious things we do in the earth. It's how we help express the image of God inside of us. And when COVID showed up, that door got shut immediately. We had very little outlet to express this idea of being, being order to chaos people in the earth. And it felt like the earth and socially things got even more chaotic and we were shut up and we couldn't put our hands on it to try to do something tangible to start to bring order to a chaotic world. So if you find yourself in any of these difficult spots, if, the, if, if the, your normal response to the abnormal situation of lockdown has, has you agitated, man, do something orderly. I don't care how seemingly mundane, organize your junk drawer. Make a list of 
the pages of a book that you're going to read and check them off the list. Even if it doesn't seem as meaningful as work, just literally go organize, go unorganize something so that you can organize it. Make a list and check it off. And what you'll start to feel is a little bit of the, the soul satisfaction of being an image bearer in the earth again. Organize something, order something, you know, go make the beds. It feels mundane, but man, we are created and put in this earth to start to bring order to chaotic space. Last one would be um, biblical. You want to do things that are biblical. We can do lots of activity, but just because it's active doesn't mean it's good for us. It doesn't mean it aligns with scripture. Um, I'll, I'll say a lot more about that next week. I don't, I don't necessarily want to go too super far down that road um, just for time's sake. But there are biblical things that I can do. I can pray. I can read my Bible. I can connect with my small group. I can attend church. There are activities do biblical activities. And by the way, avoid those activities, which would not, you know, line up necessarily with being biblical. Please don't drink too much. You need biblical rest, deep REM sleep. And drinking too much, while that might initially feel like it helps you get that, it stops you from slipping into REM sleep, which means that you might fall out quicker, but you're never going to get the deep kind of rest that your body needs during a difficult situation. So we want to avoid, you know, the, the excesses that uh, may feel very, very tempting. Let me just conclude with this thought and I'll pass it back over to you, Pastor JT. The reality is, guys, it's been a challenging stretch. And if this last season of time, this last year or somewhere during the last year, it felt like it got overwhelming or you feel like you're about to crack and gosh, if this doesn't change, yeah, you know, right now, if this has been a challenging season for you, for your emotions, it doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're defective. It doesn't mean that you're broken. It doesn't mean that you lack faith. You may actually be having a normal, healthy response to an extremely abnormal life situation. And it's overwhelmed your coping. It's okay. What do I do when it does? I'm, I'm going to be resilient. And I'm going to get back up. I'm going to apply a couple of the things that I did. I'm going to either stretch my thinking, shrink my thinking, get at a healthy distance, whatever you need to, face-to-face -face actual time with somebody. I'm going to integrate some activity. And those things will be that resilience phase, which will help you get back up and then apply what you've always done when you were flourishing. If you do that, um, you'll be able to make it through this time. All right, Pastor JT, I'm gonna kick it back to you and uh, be happy to, I'm looking forward to our time next week. Field a bunch of questions. If you have anything about this or you know any other mental, emotional health, I am really looking forward to uh, being able to serve you with that. Thank you so much.